If you want to make sure you get them checked in. Um, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to two places today. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, and Luke chapter 2. We are in a series that I've called Beyond December, Can Every Day Be Like Christmas? And I know if you're on Facebook, you've seen it. You've seen someone with their Christmas lights on in the room in the morning and a cup of coffee and they're like, oh, this is so wonderful. And that atmosphere is set and that music is playing and oh, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Why can't every day be like that? That's what Elvis is singing for us. But here's the reality. Christmas isn't a pleasant time for everybody. We talked last week about how some people associate Christmas with pain, with loss, with difficulty. Someone who's lost a loved one recently going through the Christmas season can be a difficult time. And so Christmas isn't always, you know, this nostalgia and this beautiful, warm, fuzzy feeling. It sometimes is a hard time. But overall, we associate Christmas with good feelings. And how do we take what Christmas is really all about? Not just the lights and the the music and the, the prettiness of it. How do we take the real point of Christmas and actually live that out in our daily lives? I mean, I don't know if you understand this, but when we come to a Sunday worship gathering, this is not the only time you should have communication with God throughout the week. Your devotion time, whether that's in the morning or in the evening or whenever you do it, should not be the only time you're in communication with God. This is not a relationship where you, you know, go for a charge and then you just run until you run out of charge and then you go back for another charge. Worship times and devotion times are meant to make sure we're connected so that as we go out into our day, we remain connected. And there's this fallacy that when we come into the worship service, we should prepare our hearts for worship. Our hearts should be already prepared for worship. Every moment of every day, we should be ready to go. It shouldn't take like a few songs to warm us up and get ready, you know, to really worship and enter in. And ministry moments is not in that part of the service because it takes a while to start hearing the Spirit. We need to be engaged with the Holy Spirit all the time. And Christmas should not be any more special to us than any other day of the year. And I I know that I'm a Christmas weirdo and I wear red and green socks. And I'm not saying that you should also wear red and green socks. But as believers, we ought to live differently because of what Christmas is about for us. And so next week, we're going to talk about the war on Christmas. And I promise you, it's a day you're not going to want to miss. And uh, we're going to talk about how to fight this war on Christmas. But today, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, Luke chapter 2. And again, a part of the, what we call the Christmas story. Okay. By the way, the word Christmas is not in the Bible. Okay. So when you refer to the Christmas story, uh, if you tell people to turn to the Christmas story, they won't know where to turn because it's not in there. So it's about the birth of Jesus, I know for us culturally, and so we're going to talk more about what this is and how it should change our lives all year long. One thing, if you don't know, the book of Isaiah is rather a, a, it's kind of an interesting book because it's a lot about judgment. Isaiah is prophesying the judgment that's coming on the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, all of the surrounding nations. It's clouded in this, it's doomed despair, it's prophetic destruction is coming. And it also says, God says to Isaiah, hey, I'm going to send you to a people that are going to hear you, but they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to repent 
and you're going to preach all of your life to a people who never change. <laughs> Sign me up. I mean, and isn't it crazy that you and I judge whether someone's effective in ministry based on whether or not people respond to them? So according to how we judge people today, Isaiah would have been a failure because no one responded. But the truth of what he said came to pass, sadly. So intermixed, though, in this book of gloom and despair and uh, is hope. There's a Messiah that's coming. There are tons of messianic scriptures loaded throughout the book of Isaiah that talk about the future hope that's coming. And Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those. But to really get the context of Isaiah chapter 9, we're just going to go back one verse into Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, because Isaiah chapter 8 is this gloom and doom, despair is coming, it's bad chapter. And it ends with just that. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's just, praise the Lord. I'm just feeling the spirit of Christmas now. But thank goodness that when we turn the page into chapter 9, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, now do you know at not, dawn and noon are different? At dawn, the sun is just, the light is just beginning. And at noon, the, the light is bright and it shines. So notice that he says, a light has dawned. And then the next verse, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I love that word. Of the increase of his government. Dawn of the increase. The light is going to shine and it's going to increase and there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and ever forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, God's answer to gloom and despair and pain and darkness is to give a baby, a child. And not everyone who sees this child is going to recognize him. In fact, Jesus came to all who received him and to those who believed in him. He gave the right to become children of God, but he came to his own and his own did not recognize him. So even though he was in Galilee and he was in the land of Naphtali and he was in the land of Zebulun, they didn't all recognize him as the Messiah. They were ever seeing, but not perceiving. They were ever hearing, but not under standing because they were looking for a messiah that was different than what they got because as human beings we tend to think of the kingdom of god as noon not as dawning and breaking forth slowly and so we look for these big things and we look for god in the big things and god does sometimes show up in the big things but just as he told elijah i also come in that still small voice and if you don't learn to recognize my still small voice then the big things really won't do much for you. 
Now, we tend to think differently. We tend to think if only someone would raise from the dead. Wow, think of the revival that would come to Huron, God, if someone would, would just raise from the dead. And God says, well, that's not really how my kingdom comes. My kingdom comes in seed form, and then it grows. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it's the largest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. See, the kingdom comes into our lives in seed form, and it's meant to be cultivated and grow to be like a large tree that actually is a benefit to those around us. He told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. How long would it take to mix by hand 60 pounds of flour yeast into that? I mean, that's, that's a process. And if, but if you want the bread to turn out right, you're going to do it right, aren't you? You're going to be thorough, and you're going to work that through. And I know at other times, Jesus says that yeast is a bad thing, and it's something that we're going to, we need to stay away from. But you've got to understand, God is a crockpot God. He, he loves to marinate things. And there's a reason that he marinates them. There is a reason that he takes his time in a process and doesn't just want to do bam in your life. We're going to talk about why he does that and why we have that process. And in order to do it, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people of Israel go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter way. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now, it's interesting that they went up ready for battle, but he didn't want them to face battle. Isn't that interesting? You've got to understand, the Old Testament is not just there for good story time in Sunday school class. It's there to help us understand how God works from beginning to end. So a lot of the stuff that you see in the Old Testament is actually a foreshadowing of what's to come. The people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. You and I were in slavery to sin. God sent a deliverer, Moses, to set them free from the hand of Pharaoh. God sent a deliverer, Jesus, to set us free. And yet when he brings us out of slavery, we are equipped, dressed, and ready for battle. But he understands as a new believer, we might not be ready for every battle that we're about to face. So although we're dressed for battle, he sometimes leads us along a different path because he doesn't want us to hit something head on that we're not ready for. And so he protects us, he guards us, he helps us. But don't be disillusioned. I mean, that's why sometimes, you know, when you get saved and you're like, man, everything's just great and I'm just so happy and it's so good and it lasts for just a short while and then you don't understand why a couple weeks later everything is like hell on earth. Everything has turned upside down and I'm facing all these battles and I don't understand it. Because you thought that he was just going to keep doing this. But see, in order for you to grow up in your faith, he's got to do something else. And if we turn into our Bibles to Exodus 23, 10 chapters later, listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, and then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. But I will not drive them out in a single year. 
because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Now, surely that doesn't mean anything for us, right? Because little by little, why would God do things little by little? Why does, does he want us to learn to occupy the land? Let me put this into New Testament terms for us. This is what he wants us to do. He doesn't, he's not concerned that we read through the Bible in a year. He's concerned that we take the Bible and we live it through the year. And it would be better for us as believers to just read one chapter every single day, the same chapter over and over and over again, until we actually applied it to our lives. It'd be better for us as we're reading through the, the Gospels, the words of Jesus, every time Jesus commands us to do something, if we're not doing it regularly in our lives, it would be best for us to just stop, get a handle on that, occupy it, and then move on to something else. But see, in America, we think knowledge is power. We think as long as I know the scripture and as long as I can recite the scripture, that I'm doing okay. But it's really not what we know up here. It's what we're doing that actually shows. And so here's the thing. God sent his son to be our salvation from start to finish. So the moment we come into the kingdom, we are as saved as we will ever be. It's not like once you start performing well, then you're more saved. Then you've secured your salvation. No, your salvation is secure from the get-go. And you know why he does that? Because he doesn't want us to try to clean house all at once. Now, this isn't an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to say, well, God, I'm in a process. God's working on me. If he's already revealed something to you, he's ready to work on that. The fact that you're aware of it shows he's revealed it to you. If he's revealed it to you and you are not working on it, you are disregarding him. And he doesn't like that. He does not like to be disregarded. And so you're going to face all kinds of problems because you're, you're trying to do some things with your own understanding. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you've ever read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and maybe been confused by it, but in order to keep me, he says, from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but look at what he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to take every enemy out of your life because if I take every enemy out of your life, you're going to stop learning how to fight. But I want you to learn how to occupy and push out those giants in the land, little by little. I want you to push those things out of your lives. I don't want you to just make them at home in your life. I don't want you to be okay with them, but I want you to fight. I want you to occupy the land. I mean, in Judges chapter 3, he says it. He left these nations in the land of Israel to test the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. See, just because you and I face difficulties in our lives doesn't mean that's just the Lord's will for us. It means you've got to learn to fight the battle that he's equipped you to fight and to learn to occupy the land that he wants you to take. But you've got to do it little by little sometimes. See, we expect the Lord reveals something to me in a scripture. I pray about it for three days. It's, it should be done. I mean, Paul 
prayed three times and the Lord's like, nope, there's something I want you to learn. There's something I want you to learn. And don't put yourself on the Apostle Paul's list and say, well, I must just have this to keep me from becoming conceited. Because until you start having visions of the third heaven, okay, you don't have to have a, a messenger of Satan to keep you from being conceited. Well, maybe we do, but Paul was in a place where none of us are. Okay, he was pressed into some stuff that you and I, we're not there yet. There's still kingdom that we need to press into. But here's the thing. When I say things like this, you, well, are you saying I'm not a good Christian? Are you saying I'm not? No, what I'm talking about is your ability to enter into the kingdom now, not your ability to enter into the kingdom when you die. The ability to enter into the kingdom when you die rests on what Jesus did for you. The ability for you to enter the kingdom now rests on what you're going to do with what he did with you, for you. Does that make sense? And we've kind of been duped that we should just accept things that I don't think we're supposed to accept. And look at Matthew chapter 12. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places and seeks rest, but it doesn't find it. So it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied. I mean, hey, swept clean, put in order, but unoccupied. And see, some of you are praying, oh God, take all of these things out of my life. And God's like, you know, that'd be great. I'd sweep your house clean, put everything in order. But if you don't learn to occupy the land that I clean out, then your condition actually becomes worse than the first. Now, I don't know what you think of when you read that passage, but we usually associate demons with like these terrible, evil, ugly things. But, you know, you could, this could mean good stuff. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so you could actually go to church every Sunday and hear sermons every Sunday. You could actually come to an altar every Sunday and cry every Sunday. You could actually give your tithe every single week. You could tithe on every mint that you grow in your garden and you could tithe on your tomatoes and you could tithe on all of it and still be missing it because you're not learning to actually occupy the land you've taken by obeying the word you've received. You're not diligently putting into practice the word you have received. And you, James says if we hear the word but don't do it, what do we become? Deceived. And our condition actually becomes worse than when we were unbelievers. How could it be possible that we could go to church every Sunday and actually be in a worse condition than unbelievers? Because we've been deceived. Because we got all the knowledge. But we're not taking the time to occupy the land. And we keep praying, oh God, deliver me from this, deliver me from this. And he's like, dude, I am so not concerned about that. Jesus covers all of that. This is why it's important for us to not judge other believers. Because we really don't know the order God is taking in their lives. And I know we can look at their lives and we're like, oh, look at that sin in their lives. I would never have that sin in my life. But you've got plenty of your own. Don't forget, homosexuality and slander are in the same sentence in 1 Corinthians, that keep us from entering the kingdom. Okay, and so I'm not saying homosexuality is not a sin. I'm not saying slander is a sin, in, or well, it is a sin, so I am saying that. But what I'm saying is there's just an order God works in our lives, and he's, he's cleaning us up. Now, you cannot willingly practice something that God's word says don't. If he has revealed it to you, you've read it, it's there, black and white, he showed you, you've got you've to follow that. But here's the thing, your ability to follow it perfectly does not determine whether or not you go to heaven when you die. 
That, that determines whether you go to heaven when you die. Okay? But here's the danger. Here's the danger. You can turn away from your faith. If you get to the place where your heart becomes so hard because you've heard but you haven't put into practice, you actually can get to the place where you turn away from the faith. I don't think we fall away quickly. I don't think we're just like Jonathan Edwards said, dangling over hell by a string that God's just waiting to cut it off. If you do one thing wrong, that's not who he is. But you do run the risk if you harden your heart to actually turn away. We look at people and we're like, how that person was such a godly person and now they're saying it's okay to divorce their spouse and marry someone else and that's what God wants for their ministry? How, are they, how can they look at something black and white in Scripture? It's a slow fade. And you and I are in that same danger every time we hear the word but don't put it into practice. Every time we excuse our behavior and say, well, I'm only acting like that because my parents did this or because my kids did this or because my spouse did this or my boss or... And the list goes on and on and on and on. See, we, again, think that if just someone would be raised from the dead, everything would make a difference. But did you know that Jesus said, even if someone raises from the dead, people won't be convinced? Oh, I mean, if someone was dead, dead, and you and I prayed for them to come back to life and they sat up in the coffin, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there would be an exciting moment. And it might even last for like a month or two. But that does not produce the kind of fruit that us just digging in and learning to occupy land little by little, it doesn't produce the same fruit. That produces an emotional response. See, camps, conventions, worship services, they're all good things. But that doesn't produce the type of fruit that digging into the word every single day does in your life. And we mistake that. We come to, we get a, a charge at a, a convention or a camp or a worship service and, and then we go out and we just try to, you know, live off that charge as long as we can. It doesn't work. We've got to dig into the word. So how do we recognize the seeds in our lives? How do we grow them little by little? Because Here's the thing. We want to recognize them. I think you're here because you want to recognize them. I don't think you're here because you're this terrible person that doesn't want to recognize God's voice. I think you're here because you want to. So let's look in Luke chapter 2 at three people in Luke chapter 2 that recognized Jesus as a baby. Okay, they didn't recognize Jesus when he was performing miracles. I mean, I know not everybody recognized him when he was performing miracles, but it was easier. You know, I mean, it's hard to mistake someone that raises Lazarus from the dead as, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Obviously, you've got some kind of connection with God because that's pretty good. I can't do that. But to recognize an infant. Now, I know we like to take the Christmas story in the scripture and we like to romanticize it. You know what I mean? We like to make it like, oh, look at Mary and Joseph. I mean, Mary just had a baby, okay? You have ever had a baby? You know what I'm talking about. Mary's not sitting there kneeling at the, the manger. Oh, my baby. No epidurals. No pain meds. What do you think Mary's going through? 16-year-old girl, oh, having a baby. Okay, so it's messy. It's ugly, okay? It's not this romantic whatever you've put in your mind about it. It's still a great story. Don't, mis don't misinterpret it. 
There are still some things that happen. But by the way, the angels did not sing. The Bible does not say they sang. really bothers me. So when we sing <laughs> here in church, hark the herald angels sing, don't do that. <laughs> Perpetuating lies, that's what we're doing. I want us all to say, hark the herald angels say. Okay? So there you go. I'm so kidding. If you want to say sing, sing, but whatever. But I, when we sing it, I do say say, just so you know. <laughs> oh, heaven help us. Okay, we're going to come back. If you want to learn to recognize kingdom seeds in your life, you want to dig in and go little by little, here's what you got to do. First, you've got to respond to the word you've already been given. You've got to respond to the word you've already been given. See, here's the thing. God's not hiding from any of us. He has revealed himself. And ultimately, the word that all of us have been given is that Jesus did it for us. And if we don't respond to that, if we don't respond to him, admit we have fallen short of God's standard. We have no hope of meeting God's standard. We believe that Jesus died as a payment for our sin and we surrender. We confess him as Lord of our lives, meaning you now call the shots. And this is your shot book here. <laughs> okay? So as I read it, you're going to tell me what to do, and then I'm going to do it because you're God and I'm not. I'm not going to read it and say, mm, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. So how could I get around that? Maybe I could find a couple other scriptures that say, and our problem isn't what we don't understand. Our problem is what we do understand that we don't put into practice or respond to. See, the shepherds responded to the word they were given. Okay, the only reason the shepherds recognized the Messiah is because angels appeared and told them about it. Okay, now, um, shepherds, you have to understand, are the outcasts of society. No one likes shepherds. They stink. They're like homeless people in our society today. Okay, so if homeless people come knocking at your door, hey, do you, did you have a baby tonight? Going to let them in? <laughs> I, you know, this is the reality of the Christmas story. These guys who nobody really likes and that the world kind of dismisses, that's who God reveals himself to. Do not miss that. That's who God reveals himself to. The people that you and I push away. So God comes to them. The angels come. They say glory to God in the highest. They say it. Okay? And then, and then let's look at the shepherd's response. What do they do? The angels returned to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger with a glow, with a halo over his head. No. In fact, the room, they were probably still cleaning up the afterbirth, they were probably, it was probably a messy place. They were, and they walk in, and you don't think that they could have been like, really? That's the Messiah? That's, I mean, the angels, do you think we really saw angels out there? I mean, maybe we were just on the bottle a little heavy tonight. I don't, what did they do? So then after they see it, they told everyone what happened and what the angel had said. They didn't doubt it. They responded to it. They didn't sit around the campfire and say, hey, guys, what do you uh, think of the theological implications of a Messiah being born in Bethlehem tonight? I mean, we like to sit around and have our Bible studies, and we like to talk about all of the things Jesus has done for us, but we don't really like to apply many of them to our lives. 
Pastor, I think we need to have more Bible studies. I think we need to actually start applying the Bible in our daily lives, in the way we treat people, in the way we treat the, the person that is serving us in a restaurant that's not doing it to our expectation. See, we have to respond to the word we've already been given. Slow down as you read through the Bible in a year and make sure we're putting it into practice. That's what the shepherds did. James says, get rid of all of the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your heart. It has the power to save your soul. It has the power to save your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. If you humbly accept the word he has planted in your heart by not just listening to it, but doing what it says, James says, your soul begins to get saved. Now, your spirit is already saved because Jesus died, made your spirit brand new, but your soul needs to get saved. It needs to get cleaned up. Our soul gets renewed day by day, and we do it one step at a time. See, some people say, well, you know, I can't really come to faith in Jesus. I got too many issues. Okay, so how many issues do you have to work out before you come to faith? Because you really can't work them out on your own. And if you actually get to the place where you think you've worked out all your issues and then you come to the cross, uh, you're not really coming to the cross. The whole point is I've got issues that I can never possibly work out. And you don't have to clean your whole life up. You have to start with one thing. What's the Holy Spirit saying today? Put, you, put in his finger on it and say, hey, let's get this out of our lives today. Because here's the thing. I'm already saved. I'm covered. Again, not an excuse to just live however I want to live. But we live in such condemnation and guilt because we feel like, man, there's, I, God, just clean out every room. He's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> See, thank God he is not like me. And because I, you know, let's just clean everything. Let's just do it all. Let's have no furniture in any room. Let's just clean everything and then just add it slowly. Don't do that spiritually. Just little by little, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Okay, there we go. The next one, not only do we need to respond to the word we've already been given, but we actually have to renew Our spiritual senses. I know, I didn't put these on the screen, so you actually have to pay attention. Renew your spiritual senses. Did you know that you have physical senses and you have spiritual senses? And you actually have to do something with them. This guy is named Simeon. He is in Jerusalem. He is a righteous and devout man. And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, had revealed to him that he would not die until we had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. When Mary and Joseph came to present the baby to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms, and he praised God. And then he declares who this baby is. How in the world did he know which baby? I mean, was there a little, like, signal, like a glow? I mean, the wise men at least had a star to follow. What did Simeon have? Oh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Look at what the Holy Spirit is for us. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Be careful how you live. See, if we don't want to be careful how we live, we're, we're going to have a hard time hearing God, we're going to have a hard time recognizing the seeds. 
Don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. See, these are intentional choices that we have to make. You don't have to choose to act like a fool. You just have to follow your own instincts. That didn't come out like I meant, but as, as human beings, not that we're all fools. As human beings, that's what we are. If we follow our instincts, it's, we're fools. Don't lean on your own understanding. Okay, you don't have to think about it. You just have to do it. It's just what comes natural to us. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That ruins your life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, what, it's an intentional choice you and I make. Every single day of my life, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I get up in the morning, I pray the prayer, I want the Holy Spirit, fill me today, every part of me today. When I walk into this church building, instead of just, you know, coming in, sitting down, scrolling through Facebook, I say, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Help me to hear what you're saying today. Help me to respond to the people in this room. I don't need to wait for you to prod me with an ox goad. I'm ready. I'm ready to minister to someone. Someone walks in that door, hey, anything going on I can pray for you about today? This is what we're called to do, to, to work on our spiritual senses. Hebrews chapter 5, there, here's a rebuke for the church concerning him, Jesus. We have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. Keep that in mind. You've become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You, you need someone to teach you the elementary principles of, of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They've practiced it. They've prayed for people. They've tried to share their faith. They've declared the praises of God. They've begun to worship. They've, they've put into practice. They've turned off the television set and spent time in prayer. They've, they've responded to what God has said over and over and over again, just like Simeon. They're led by the Spirit. They're righteous. They're devout. They're not just going through religious activity and motion. Their hearts are engaged in it. Don't do anything religious that you don't understand. Find out why we do it and then engage your heart in it. Don't just go through activity. If you don't know what it means, find out what it means. Don't just throw it off. Don't just say, well, I don't need to do it that way. Are you sure? Have you studied the scripture to know you don't have to do it that way? When's the last time you fasted? Because the Bible says, when you pray, pray this way. Hopefully you've prayed soon, recently. When you give, a lot of you gave today. Do it this way. It also says when you fast. But oddly, we don't really talk about that one much. Because you know what? That's hard. I don't like that one. But why do we fast? Because our senses get dull. Not because we sin, but because we live in a broken world. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 21, 34. Don't let your hearts be dulled. By carousing and drunkenness, and don't get confused by that drunkenness and think, well, as long as I don't get drunk, that means excess, okay? So whatever you're drunk on, you know, 15 hours of video games, 15 hours of Netflix, 15 hours of shopping on Amazon, whatever, excess. You know what excess does? It dulls our spiritual senses. It's not evil. I'm not saying don't ever play video games, don't ever get on Facebook, don't ever get on Netflix, don't ever get on Amazon. I'm not saying that. 
But recognize this. Your senses get dulled. How do we fix that? Well, fasting is a great way because it's a removal of all the excess to make sure my spirit is in tune. Because the danger is that the seed that's been planted in our hearts gets choked out by the cares and the worries of life, just by the busyness. Even the relationships. I can't wait to be with my friends. I want to just hang out with my friends. And then we're faced with a major decision and we're like, oh, Pastor Tom, we're we're having a hard time hearing God's voice. Could you help us? Well, not really. I mean, I can't tell you what to do with your life. I can show you how you need to hear God's voice, but he's a crockpot God and he might not show up by your deadline. (laughs) Isn't that how we live life? And we're like, God, you didn't show up by the deadline. And he's like, I was trying to show up, but there was so much earwax spiritually and you couldn't hear what I was saying. You've got to keep putting it into practice. You've got to clean your spiritual senses. You've got to be intentional and throw off the things that God says to throw off. And the last one, number three, repeat these things every single day. Repeat them every single day. The third person here in Luke chapter 2 is this lady named Anna. She's a prophet, and she's also there in the temple. Her husband died when she'd only been married for about seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Okay, if she got married late, she was 20, 27, 84 more than 50 years. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Now, please don't bring a bag, sleeping bag and pillow. You don't have to sleep here. You are the temple. But what do you need to do? Day and night, worship God with fasting and prayer. Day and night. Put it into practice in your daily life. Make it a routine you do all the time. Don't disengage your heart from it because then it just becomes religious activity. Keep your heart engaged in it. And she came along. How? What a coincidence. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. See, you and I spend so much time trying to manipulate things, you know, so that we get what we need or to try to get ourselves in the right position so that we can hear God or we can... And God's like, you know what? You just seek me and, and here's the thing. I'll, come, I'll make sure you're in the right place at the right time. You just seek me, and there'll be so many coincidences in your life you won't be able to understand. Um, I disconnected, so can you throw up Galatians chapter 6, the next one? Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Do it every single day. Do you know what, by definition, do you know what faithfulness really is? Faithfulness is doing the last thing God told you to do, even when it looks like it's not working. There's not a farmer out there that plants a seed, and when he doesn't see it sprout the next day, digs it up and plants another seed. 
He knows that that seed's going to grow if he, if he waits, if he gives it the conditions that it needs to grow. And so you and I, we plant spiritual seeds, and if we don't see it, we, tr- we just try to move on to the next thing. And God says, no, you just you keep doing what I told you to do, and you keep doing the right thing. I want to share with you a story that I shared with our leaders yesterday, and uh, it's from a book called Relentless Passion. And it's a story about one of my friends who was at Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and David Wilkerson was coming to speak at a church that was less than 15 minutes from his house. Fifteen minutes away, David Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, the founder of Teen Challenge, awesome man of God. I mean, when he spoke, chills went up and down your spine. You felt like a dirty, rotten sinner, and you needed to get right with God. I mean, there was just a power that came out of him. See, some of us think if we just get the speech just right, but here's the thing. It's not the words, it's the presence of God that flows out of our lives. And the only way you get in the presence of God is day after day after day after day after day after day. So anyway, so here's David Wilkerson. He was excited. After reading his book, This Cross and the Switchblade, I was stirred to become a man of God and do great exploits with Jesus. In my mind, David Wilkerson was the epitome of a great man of God. The day of the service arrived, and I showed up eager to receive from the Lord. Pastor Wilkerson preached a great message on living in the rest of the Lord. He concluded his message and stepped off the platform, seating himself in the front row to my left as he waited for the service to conclude. As the final formalities of the evening were wrapping up, I was making my plan to meet David Wilkerson. I assessed the situation. There were hundreds of people in the service who would like to meet him. I, did, I would have to beat the crowd to get a chance to talk to him. I didn't need much time, just enough to say, lay your hands on me and bless me to become a great man of God. However, there was an exit immediately to his left. There's a good chance he might head out that door before anyone had a chance to talk with him. I will have to be quick. The man on the platform prayed his concluding prayer, and I kept my eye on Pastor Wilkerson. This was my chance. Who knew if I'd ever see him again in person? I desperately wanted the impartation of grace that was on his life and already had the conversation planned out in my mind. Pause. I do believe in impartation. I do believe, as men of God or women of God pray for us, that spiritual gifts are imparted. It's in the Bible. Paul did it to Timothy through the laying on of hands. The gifts were imparted. So this is not saying that does not happen, okay? Just unpause. I would quickly introduce myself, tell him I wanted to be a man of God, and ask him to bless me. He would then put his hands on my head, pray the prayer of blessing. Then something awesome would happen. The power of God would electrocute me and suddenly give me new power and grace to be a great man of God. It would be amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. With those words, the minister dismissed the service. I immediately bolted down the aisle and headed for David Wilkerson, and I made it. Here was my moment. I was standing in front of a real, authentic man of God and had his full attention. I proceeded with my plan. Pastor Wilkerson, my name is Jeff. I'm a Bible college student preparing for ministry. Would you please pray for me? I want to be a man of God. Then my plan took an unexpected turn. Instead of laying his hands on me and zapping me with the power of God, Pastor Wilson, Wilkerson looked at me intently and spoke very seriously. You want to be a man of God, he asked? Pray every single day. Never miss a day. Read the Bible every single day. Never miss 
a day. There are no shortcuts. Then he grabbed my hand and prayed, Father, help this young man to pray and read your word every day. Amen. (laughs) And you know what he said? That moment changed his life. Because he realized there are no shortcuts. See, some of us would rather be on Facebook than be in prayer. We'd rather be on Netflix than in the Word. And we're waiting for our desires to change, so we do it. You're going to be waiting a long, 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 long time. While discipline does not make us saved, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. Discipline is necessary in our lives. And if you're going to recognize the infant Messiah in your life, some of it's going to be because he plainly told you. You're in this room today, not because you're a smart person. Okay, that doesn't mean you're not smart. But you're not here because you're smart. You're here because he came and revealed himself to you. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Just like the shepherds, we would not have recognized the baby Jesus, the Messiah, if he had not told us plainly. So that's why we're here. But some of us are content to stay there. And like Simeon, babies are coming in and out of our life all the time. Spiritual kingdom seats. And you and I are missing them because we won't be diligent to train our spiritual senses to recognize them. I mean, we want to live like Jesus did. We just don't want to pray like Jesus did. We don't want to fast like Jesus did. We don't want to do what Jesus did. We don't want to humble ourselves to the point of death on a cross. And so we just assume miracles must not be for today. I mean, miracles just must be kind of happenstance. No, there is a kingdom authority that you can learn to walk in. But how do you get there? Little by little. And the speed with which you get there is determined by the choices that you make in life. People who put down other things and spend time in the word grow faster than people who don't. And here's the thing. It doesn't make you less of a Christian because your Christianity is based on what he did for you. But it does impact your ability to enter the kingdom here on earth, to respond to the kingdom here on earth. It does. Things are going to come in and out of your life, and you won't recognize them. And then when the big decisions come, you're going to be like, God, I don't know what to do. Here's what I would do. If I'm in a big decision and I know I've, I've failed God, do you know what I would do? I'd tell him. Because he already knows. And you know what? It's just like David. David fasted and prayed for his child to be saved, and then after the child died, he got up and ate. Who knows? Maybe God will have mercy. God, I know that I have not been. But don't promise him. God, if you come through for me this time, I promise I will, I will be in my word the next time. Stop it. I mean, just like Peter. Oh, Lord, even if everyone denies you, I will never deny you. Peter. <laughs> really? You don't have to make grand promises. You just have to be real. God, I've failed. And I'm kind of in a predicament here. I need a decision on this in a couple days. Would you be merciful to me and help me know what choice to make? Wow, isn't that a great prayer? No promises attached. God, I just, I need you. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm an okay father, and if my kids were just 
being ridiculous and doing things that I told them not to do. And they willingly came to me and said, would you help me? It'd be really hard not to. And if me being an evil father wants to give good gifts to my kids, how much more does our Father in Heaven want this for us? Here's the thing. He wants this for you more than you want it. And the fact that you still have all this junk in your life is not a sign that he's upset with you. (laughs) That's a sign that his approval is there. Okay? You're saved. But he wants you to press into him so that little by little those things get out of your life. Here's the thing. This isn't the kind of message that you come forward. I put my hands on you. I impart this great thing to you again. This is just something we got to do. You and I have to put this into practice. The moment we walk out the door, respond to the word. But here's the thing. Some of you, when I say respond to the word, God has told you to do something and you, you've started it and then you stopped it. Or, and it's already in your mind. It's already there. You need to take care of that before you leave. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you in just a second. And after I do, we're going to play a song for you to worship to. If you want to stay, if you want to maybe come to the altar and pray, if you want to kneel at your pew, if you just want to stand there and sing, you can stand there and sing. But if you need to be dismissed, I understand that there are things that you maybe need to go to. I'm not going to hold you up from that. But I I just caution you, at least take 30 seconds to just encounter the Lord just for a moment with these truths. God, I'm not going to make great promises to you. I'm going to ask you for your help to respond to what you've already shown me, to begin to renew my spiritual senses, and to just have the grace to persevere, to do this every single day as long as it takes. That's the prayer, and that's what I'm going to pray for you. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I believe that you're here because this is your desire, but I can't make the choice for you. My prayer isn't going to do it for you. You have to respond to him yourself. And so after I close in the time of prayer, I want to encourage you just to to stay as long as you want, to worship with the, the video that plays, or if you need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. And so, Father, I thank you that you came to us when we would not have come to you. I thank you that you came to this earth, you revealed yourself, you made yourself known to us, you showed us who you are. And God, I pray for everyone in this room today. God, we have heard your word. We've heard what you've spoken over us and what you've said to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice, that today we would not just be hearers of your word, but God, that we would do what your word says. God, that you would help us to put into practice the things that you've revealed and made known to us. Holy Spirit, help us to respond to the word that we've already received from you. For those that are in this room that have not committed their lives to you, God, help them to start there. For those that have begun to be obedient but turned away from what you've told them to do, God, help them to repent and come back to that place of obedience today. Holy Spirit, help us to begin to renew our spiritual senses day after day. Help us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race that's set in front of us. And help us to repeat it every single day. Holy Spirit, help us to trust every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed me 
I never 